Good morning. You can have a seat. Thank you for joining us today. If this is your first time here, uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, just thank you for joining us today. If you wouldn't mind filling out a visitor card and putting it in the box in the back, and there's a special gift we have for you on the table on the way out, so feel free to grab one of those. At this time, the children can be dismissed for Children's Church. We're looking at Genesis chapter 50 today. This will be our last message in the book of Genesis. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, and if you don't have one at home, uh, again, there's some uh, Bibles on the back table. We'd love for you to grab one. Uh, It's our gift to you. So Genesis chapter 50, starting at verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Groundhog Day. And uh, if you're not familiar with the story, it's about a meteorologist named Phil Collins, or Phil Connors, Phil Con- not Phil Collins, the singer, Phil Connors. <laughs> and uh, Phil Connors is assigned to go to Punxsutawney and see the groundhog, if the, see if the groundhog sees his shadow. And he's kind of upset about giving that assi- being given that assignment again and again each year. But he goes anyways. And then he wakes up and he does his broadcast and whatnot, and then there's a snowstorm, and then he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and it's Groundhog Day again. Every day he wakes up, it's Groundhog Day. He literally has no future because each day is the same day, and he keeps living the same day over and over and over again. Well, at first he's kind of confused about what is happening, so he's kind of trying to figure it out, what's going on here. And then he's talking to a couple of people he met, people of ill repute, and he says, Phil says this, he says, what if there were no tomorrow? And this guy who he meets, he says, no tomorrow? That would mean there would be no consequences. There would be no hangovers. We could do whatever we wanted. There'd be no future. There'd be no tomorrow, no consequences. The ultimate freedom. And suddenly this bell rings and Phil's mind, and he's like, wow, I can do whatever I want. I have this freedom. And so he started to enjoy his freedom. He went around just doing these reckless things. He drove drunk. He stole from some people. He was womanizing. He was just doing all these reckless, crazy things because there was no consequences. And he kind of enjoys himself for a while, but after a while, he starts to get a little disillusioned. He starts to realize he's just kind of doing the same things over and over again, that his life has no meaning. And then he starts to get depressed. He gets so depressed that he starts, tries to kill himself a number of times. But each time he wakes up, and it's Groundhog Day once again. I think that is in many ways the way that many people in our culture behave. As if there's no tomorrow. As if there's no future. As if there's no life after death. And initially, there's this type of freedom involved in that kind of 
reasoning, that there's no consequences, that I can do whatever I want, that I can make my own identity. But as we go along, we soon get disillusioned as we see that our lives have no purpose. That we're kind of doing the same things over and over and over again, and maybe some of our actions start to catch up with us. We start to experience some consequences. And so we get depressed, and sometimes some people even try to commit suicide. According to 2015 data, there were more people who committed suicide than people who died in motor vehicle accidents in 2015. We talk about freedom a lot, but what is freedom? What is this freedom we talk about? We talk about living in the land of the free, the home of the brave. For many people, the ultimate freedom is Groundhog Day. No tomorrow, no consequences. That we can just live for today. But what are the limits and bounds of our freedom? What does it mean to have a freedom that is ultimately satisfying? In a TED Talk called The Paradox of Choice, secular psychologist Barry Swartz claims that many of us live with this unspoken dogma, maximize your happiness by maximizing your individual freedom. He says the way to maximize freedom is to maximize choice. He points out to the local supermarket as an example, offering 175 different kinds of salad dressings. Even our personal identity has become a matter of choice. He says we don't inherit an identity, we get to invent it. And we get to reinvent it ourselves as often as we like. And that means that every day when you wake in the, up in the morning, you have to decide what kind of a person you want to be. And he closes his talk by having this fishbowl on a table, and he's got two fish in the fishbowl. He says, imagine that you shatter this fishbowl. He says, if you do that, you don't have freedom, you have paralysis. If you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you decrease satisfaction. He says, everybody needs a fishbowl. The absence of some metaphorical fishbowl is a recipe for misery, and I suspect disaster. So you smash a fishbowl, the fish can go wherever he wants, but ultimately he dies. He says we need some kind of a cushion, we need something to kind of inform our understanding of freedom if we're going to have a freedom that means something. And I think that as we look at the text that we just read and some other texts we'll look at, I think we'll find that true freedom requires a future. True freedom requires a tomorrow. And that future is the kind of cushion or fishbowl that kind of undergirds our understanding what freedom really is. So in the passage we read a few minutes ago, Joseph is at the end of his life. And Joseph instructs his brothers that after some time he's going to die and then God is going to bring them up into the land of promise, the land of Canaan. And he instructs them, he makes them swear that when this happens, not if this happens, but when this happens, he says, I want you to bring my bones up and bury me in Canaan. Now we don't know what understanding Joseph had. We don't know if he could see you know, that there was going to be one day a resurrection. We don't know what he knew But we do know that he was focused on the future. He wanted to be a part of what God was doing in the future. We see this is true of a number of others. If you turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8. 
says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man and, and him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many of the stars, as the stars of the heaven, and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have ap- had opportunity to return." But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the pleading pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people, of e- uh, people crossed red- the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly re- welcome to the spies. And what shall I say? What more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So we see Abraham and all the rest of these patriarchs, that they were looking towards a heavenly country. Abraham and the other patriarchs, it says in the text, didn't receive the promises. They, didn't, they received a portion of them, a partial fulfillment, but they didn't receive exactly what they were looking for. They were looking towards a heavenly country. 
country. It says in the text that if they were looking towards their own homeland, they would just return. But they were looking towards the future. They were looking for what God was going to do when He would prepare for them a heavenly city. Their whole focus was focused on the future. And we see that they had a type of freedom in the way that they lived their lives. I mean, look at the things that it talks about in verse 34 or 33. They enforced justice, conquered kingdoms, obtained promises. These are the things that we watch in movies. These are the things we think of as the ultimate freedom. And that's the way that they lived their lives because they were focused on the heavenly reward. They were focused on the future. Freedom requires a future. We're here on Easter and we're celebrating Easter. And on Easter we're reminded that true freedom requires a resurrection. The future, how we live the future will change how we live in the present. Tim Keller gives an illustration in his book, Making Sense of God. And he says, imagine you have two women the same age, same socioeconomic status, same education level, same temperament, and they're given the same job. They're put on an assembly line and they're told to just move one object from one spot to the other. And they're told to do that day after day after day after day after day. All the, everything is just the same for them. The temperature, the amount of breaks they get, the people around them, everything is exactly the same except for one thing. One woman is given $30,000 a year. The other woman is given $30 million a year. The one who's making 30000 would probably come in after a couple of weeks and complaining, Is, isn't this boring? Isn't this driving you crazy? Maybe, maybe we should just quit this job. It's a terrible, terrible job. But the woman who was making $30 million would come in and probably be whistling as she comes in. You know, just even though it was boring, she'd be happy going about doing her work. Tim Keller says this, This illustration is not intended to say that all we need is a good income. It does. It does, however, show that what we believe about our future completely controls how we are experiencing our present. He says, we are irreducibly hope-based creatures. We need a future to inform how we live the present. And for those of us who are believers in Jesus, we believe that the resurrection provides us with that future. It secures that future for us. True freedom requires a resurrection. Easter, the resurrection, is the grounds for our future. It's the basis of our hope. If we want to be free, we need to believe in the resurrection. And herein lies the crux of Christianity. The cross of Christ where Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and the resurrection where Jesus defeated sin and death once and for all and gave us new life. The resurrection is a fact that is better attested than most ancient events. Jesus was in the grave for three days, and then he rose up. And he didn't just appear to one or two people, but he went and appeared to 500 people, over 500 people. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that many of these people who he appeared to are still alive. If you're questioning what I'm saying, you can go and talk to them. Hundreds of people who saw the risen Christ. And the disciples of Jesus, many of them were persecuted and many of them we believe were martyred for their faith in the resurrection is a historically attested event wolfhart pannenberg says 
The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. True freedom is living in light of the resurrection. So how does the resurrection inform our future? What does it tell us about our future for those of us who are believers in Jesus? Well, it tells us a few different things. First, it tells us that the resurrection of Jesus shows us that our future is secure. Our future is secure. When we think about death and we think about passing on into the next life, I think there's a, a few different fears that we have. Number one, we fear lo- you know, leaving loved ones behind. But there's a couple of other fears. I think we sometimes fear that the grave is all that there is. The grave calls out that we're insignificant, that we don't matter, that our lives are over, that we're destined to spend forever in the ground, never again to appear, never again to have any significance. And yet the resurrection shatters that notion. It tells us that our future is secure, that since Christ has been raised, we also will be raised to new life, that our bodies won't stay in the grave, but they'll be, they will rise again to new life. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came, come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, you will one day rise again to new life, a perfect and glorified body. It's a sure thing. It's secured by the death and resurrection of Christ. That's the first thing the resurrection tells us about our future. If Christ has been raised, we also will be raised. And second, it tells us that we need not fear our future. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is is the law. So the second or third reason we fear death is that we fear what might come after death. We fear a judgment. Maybe we fear going to hell. But the resurrection declares that for those of us who are believers in Jesus, Jesus has paid our debt. Jesus has defeated sin and death once and for all. That sin and death are defeated foes. And in the resurrection, we see that God vindicated Jesus. That God gave a demonstration that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. That He had paid the penalty for our sins. And so we we need not fear the future. Because we know as believers that Jesus has paid our debt. That Jesus has defeated sin and death once and for all. And while death may be painful, it loses its sting. It loses the sting of judgment. Second thing about our, that's the second thing about our future. Final thing about our future, the resurrection of Jesus shows us that Jesus can handle any problems in our future. That He can handle our future. Romans 8.11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That is the power of the Spirit of God who raised a dead man up from the grave lives inside of us who are believers in Jesus. The power of Christ lives inside of us. 
And He gives us the strength to overcome sin. He gives us the strength to face any challenge that we might face in our life. He gives us the power of His resurrection. And that changes everything. So the resurrection gives us this glorious future. That we have a future that's secure, a future that we don't have to fear, and a future that is infused with the power of God. And what this should do is this should give us incredible freedom. It should give us freedom to live for tomorrow. It should give us freedom to sacrifice for our neighbor because we're not living for this, this time. We're not focusing on this earthly abode. We're living for heaven. We're focused on our future. We're not confined to what this life has to offer. We're not trying to fill our own hearts to satisfy our own souls with everything that we can figure out to, come, to satisfy us. We're free to live for God. That's the ultimate freedom. The resurrection gives us freedom. True freedom is living in the light of the resurrection. And the question is, are you free today? Are you really free today? Now, Jesus is alive. That's a historically attested fact. You can believe that or not, but Jesus is alive. But are you alive? Are you alive? Or are you just living as if there's no tomorrow? Just repeating the same patterns over and over again? Maybe even experiencing some of the consequences of those patterns. Maybe through an addiction. Maybe it's through other consequences. And you feel like you're unsatisfied with what this world has to offer. The resurrection shows us today that we can find freedom in Christ. Imagine you committed a really serious crime. And you're sentenced to spend life in prison. And then three years into your prison sentence, you're given a presidential pardon. The president pardons you. And the warden comes to you, comes to your cell, he says, you're free to go, you've been pardoned. Imagine if you said to him, free to go where? I mean, I'm already free. I mean, I can choose if I eat or not eat. I mean, I have all this room in my cell, and I can work out, I can do push-ups, and I can do pull-ups. I, I can even go to the gym sometimes. Some, I, I watch TV sometimes. But what is there for me out there? I'm free here. I mean, imagine if someone said that. It would be crazy, right? But that's what some of us do. We choose to live in a prison when Christ offers us freedom. We choose to live for today. We choose to live for things that ultimately will not satisfy us when Jesus offers us freedom, a life of fulfillment, a life that never ends, a life that's satisfying, a life that is fulfilling. It's a freeing thought. God loves us so much that He wasn't content to leave us in prison. Scriptures say in Ephesians 2 that apart from Christ, we're dead in our trespasses. But he wasn't content to leave us there. And so he came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, defeated sin and death so that we might have a relationship with him, so that we might have freedom, so that we wouldn't be confined by this life, that we wouldn't be confined by death and the prospect of judgment, but that we could spend forever with him and we could live a life of significance and a life that matters in loving God and loving those around us. That's the freedom that's offered in Christ.
And maybe some of us here are still living in that prison. We're still living apart from Christ. And if that's you, I'd invite you to turn to Christ. The Bible says that we enter into a relationship with Him by turning from our sin in the direction we're going. Turning from living for today and turn to living for Christ. Trusting in what He's done for us on the cross and in the resurrection. If you'd like to do that, I'll give you an opportunity to enter into a relationship with Christ in just a few minutes. Others of us were believers in Jesus. But there's always a temptation to return to the prison. There's always a temptation to live as if this is the only life that matters. March 2011, there was an issue of New York Times. It features a story about a man, a 51-year-old man named Robert Salzman. Salzman was a convict for most of his life. Uh, he had a very rough childhood. And then finally, he was released. And uh, after he was released, he really had trouble adjusting to society. Uh, he spent a lot of time in and out of homeless shelters, had trouble finding a job. But then he was riding along on a subway one day, and he met a man whose name was Rashad Ernesto Green. He was a writer and director, and he was looking for someone to play a tough-looking former convict for an upcoming film. Salzman had an audition, and to every, uh, audition, and to everyone's surprise, Green chose him to play the leading role in the film. But for the film, the film was much of it was uh, filmed inside of a prison, and so he would go into a prison. And sometimes he would forget the fact that he was free. And as the one time he was really tired and so he fell asleep on a cot in the prison and he woke up and he was, uh, still thought he was a prisoner. He started weeping. And it slowly dawned on him that now he was a free man. He was overwhelmed by the joy of knowing that at any moment he could walk out of that cramped cell and through the prison doors. On the other side of the pr prison walls he could enjoy his new life freedom. If you're a believer in Jesus, don't return to the prison. Don't return to living as if this is the only life that matters. We have eternity set in our hearts. We have the hope that one day our bodies will be raised from the grave. We have the hope of spending forever with Christ. So don't return to the prison and act as if this is the only life that matters. True freedom is living in light of the resurrection. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye, eye closed, if you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with Christ, maybe you've come to church before, maybe you've known about Him, maybe you've even read the Bible before, but you don't have a relationship with Him. You're still living in a prison, the prison, the prison of yourself. And today maybe God is calling you out from that prison. He's calling you to a life of freedom that's found in relationship with Him. If that's you and you'd like to enter into a relationship with Christ today, I'd invite you to pray a prayer after me. Just silently in your own heart. It's a, not a magical prayer. It's just a reflection of your heart to God. You might say something like this to God in your heart. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I can't save myself. I believe that You died for me. That You rose again. Providing me a new life, a life of freedom, a life of fulfillment in you. God, today I trust in your sacrifice. I trust in your resurrection. And I'm inviting you to come into my life and change me and make me new. 
God, we thank you for your cross and your resurrection. God, we thank you for the new life that you give us, a life of freedom, a life of hope, a life that matters. God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know you. God, I pray that they would turn to you, that they would find freedom and hope in the resurrection of your son. And God, for those of us who are believers, God, I pray that we would never return to the prison. That we would always remember that you've rescued us, that you've given us freedom to live for tomorrow, to live for you, live lives of loving God and loving others. God, we pray that we would never forget that, that we would always live a life in light of your resurrection. In Christ's name I pray, amen.